teams sit right on the baseline. The big fella from New Zealand. When we cut him off baseline, he started walking in there. Welcome on into the Baseline Podcast. It's been a little while since we uh, recorded. Been lots of stuff happening in the basketball world uh, in New Zealand uh, and in the NBA. So I'm excited to come back, have my boy Troy McKissick jumping back on and and breaking down the NBA trade deadline, which is really exciting. Troy, how are you going tonight? Yeah, good, man. How about you? Yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Um, Happy to be back potting again. It's probably been like a week or so since we've recorded an episode, but I've got some exciting ones coming up. Um, the trade line was wild in the end. Spicy one, yeah. It, it was with some shit that people didn't expect. I think uh, anybody that loves the NBA loves the trade line, so I'm excited to break down some of these moves. Um, I feel like there was a bunch of teams, just from an overall league standpoint, a bunch of teams that had underachieved this year who I think they thought that they could be better. There were teams that overachieved who added some pieces, which always makes it interesting. And then some teams that just flat out suck to, you know, are going to dump some stuff. So it was like a pretty, like a real mixing pot of, we didn't expect this, but we kind of knew some moves are going to happen. So from a league standpoint, it's pretty interesting, right? Yeah, for sure. I think um, after some of the sort of earlier trades in the week, it was starting to feel like it would, maybe the deadline day would actually be fairly quiet. And then, um, Sort of, you know, woke up this morning to a bunch of tweets coming through my phone, and I was like, "Oh, okay, we're um, we're lighting up." So, yeah, there's there's some interesting stuff to talk about. That's for sure. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool, man. It's a yeah, awesome part of the year. And um, I remember breaking down the trade deadline a year ago, and I don't think, well, well, there were some really big deals, um, but I just don't think there were as many. I feel like there was a few more storylines this year with the, the those different teams. So yeah, excited to rip right in. Um. There's going to be a few trades to go through, so we're just going to start uh, right away with um, the. We're just working on the trades that were in the last week um, in terms of the big trades. The first one was the Portland Trailblazers trading Norman Powell and Robert Covington to the Clippers, um, and then in return, the Blazers got Eric Bledsoe, Justice Winslow, Keon Johnson, and a 2025 second round pick. So I'll start from the Blazers' point of view. Obviously, it's still pretty deep in the Blazers' community. Um, Norman Powell being traded, I sort of thought at the start of the season if things went pear-shaped, this, it could happen. But in my mind, I never thought after five years, and Norm said it himself, you know, he bought a house in Portland. Um, I, I just didn't think that he would be the one being flipped. Um, but clearly, the Blazers just decided with their new GM, you know, the shit that we saw went down at the start of the year. We had um, stuff with Chauncey Billups and then um, Neil O'Shea being fired is that the new GM just decided, look, I don't like this team. Uh, we're we're going to have to pay Anthony Simons, meaning that we're going to have four guards being paid well over $100 million. So they decided to flip and then have a little bit of a reset with some, um, yes, saving on some salary. What are your thoughts on this for the for the um, the Clippers, uh, Troy? And then I'll touch back on what I feel like um, as some more long-term implications for the Blazers. So I think from the Clippers' perspective, they don't really give up too much apart from some, you know, an enormous luxury tax bill that I don't particularly think Steve Ballmer cares about. <laughs> um, and they get, you know, more wings that can both sort of be two-way players and function in their five-out lineups where they basically just have five wings on the floor. They switch everything that they've really seemed to like um, to go to. 
definitely late in games and in important stretches and against the best teams. So I think for them, like obviously they'll come into play more next year. This year is probably going to be a bit of a write-off with Kawhi probably going to be out for the season and Paul George probably trending that way as well. But next year they're just going to have all of the wings. So, you know, that's... It's definitely the kind of basketball I like. I think it's definitely the way I'd want to go. They're going to be able to just put five wings out there. Yeah. They're to switch one through five. All of them can shoot. There's a lot of playmaking there. Like they're just going to have some pretty tough lineups to play against. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I really like it. And I think I like I like Norman Powell. The way that he plays, I feel like he fits into a lot of teams, especially teams that maybe are aging a little bit. So not saying that Kawhi and Paul George won't be able to get to the line into the rim anymore, but Norman Powell is a guy who's really aggressive like that, good finisher at the rim, can play in transition and gives your team some different looks. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, and I like him like that. Robert Covington, feel like he's had a little bit of an up and down season, um, but no doubt if you're if you're going to go and pay a guy, he's the type of 3 and D guy that actually helps a team that has some really good man defenders. So I don't know what his market's going to look like, but he's still, he's still definitely um, a plus NBA player and, so that they can figure things out next year based on the other guys that they want to bring back. Um, in terms of of the Blazers, they are definitely retooling around Damian Lillard, and what we'll do is when we get to the next Blazers trade, we'll we'll talk on that a little bit more. Um, and and they're going to have the young guy there, Keon Johnson, that they clearly like. I haven't seen a lot of him, but it'll be interesting to see. Uh, he was the 21st pick in the NBA draft last season. be interesting to see um, what they get out of of him and what they're looking for moving forward. Next trade is the Cavs acquiring Chris Levert from the Pacers. Um, they got a 22-22 second round pick via Miami Heat. That's not going to be that great. Uh, the Pacers got get Ricky Rubio's out for the season. A 2022 first round pick, lottery protected. 2022 second round pick via Houston. 2022 second round pick via Utah. Now that uh, Houston second will actually be quite nice for 2022. Talk on this, um, on what you feel on this trade, especially from um, the Cavs' point of view, getting Levert and bringing him in, into what's been probably the surprise story of the season in the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah, so the Cavs, I definitely think, you know, have the um, that sort of league pass team of the year, Monica, where they've just been really, really fun to watch and have, have had a lot of success. Um, Ricky Rubio going down, it's hurt their guard depth. They obviously already had that Colin Sexton injury, so they were looking to bring in some you know, extra extra soldiers there and maybe looking to upgrade. I think this package of their first round pick and Ricky Rubio was definitely the, you know, the bullet that they could fire. Um, mm-hmm. I personally think that the return of Karis LeVert, while it helps, is perhaps not as much as I'd want to get for that. And maybe I myself wouldn't have pulled the trigger, but you know, he's he's a guard that can create some secondary ball handling with when they really have a dearth of that when Garland's not on the floor. Um, so he gives them some depth. He gives them some more drives into the lane, which they've been statistically one of the lowest teams um, in drives per game. And he's going to give them some attacking. He's going to give them a bit of scoring. But, you know, I'm a bit disappointed in their return for that package of that first-round pick and, and, and Rubio and obviously a fairly solid second in there as well. Mm. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting, and we'll and we'll sort of talk on a little bit more on on the Pacers' direction. But the Cavs, yeah, I I feel they've done really well with moves that people haven't really liked. Maybe they didn't like the Jared, Jared Allen move. We we talked on that personally before. Um, 
but a lot of it seems to work. Yeah, I think way. I completely dogged that out and I look like a big idiot now, don't I? Uh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> Laurie Markkinen has, has played at the three and it's worked in terms of the team record, but it still doesn't mean that when you eventually want to contend and you have to pay, and I know he's, he's only a rookie now, but when you eventually have to pay, um, you know, even Mobley or Max, I mean, it's crazy to say that about a rookie, but eventually some of these other moves are going to have to be filtered out, you know, like a, like Kevin Love is working well at the moment, but that doesn't mean that we've had one season of the Cavs being really, really good again. It doesn't mean that long-term, if they're going to pay Colin Sexton, that all this does work together for a second season. At the time, we didn't like the Jared Allen Moon move, but, um, you know, it, it ended up working out for now. So, yeah, going to be really interesting to see um, how that works out for them long-term. The next next one was a really interesting one, and um, Trailblazers send McCullum to Pelicans. Uh, the Pelicans got CJ McCullum, Larry Nance Jr., Tony Snell. The Blazers in return got Josh Hart, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, uh, Tomas Sadoransky, Didi Lazada, a 2020, 2022 first round pick, which is protected, a 2026 and 2027 second round pick, which is whichever one is better between the teams. So firstly, um, CJ McCollum is a player that I really loved on the Blazers. Clearly things didn't work out over the last couple of years after they made the Western Conference Finals 2019. Um, McCollum has, you know, been a consummate professional, um, loved him on the Blazers, but he gets a chance to, to be on a team and, um, you know, be the floor spacer that, that Zion Williamson sort of needs. Um, not sure on his fit defensively with this team, even though I do like Herb Jones in there. Um, we're sort of seeing maybe some lineups there with Jackson Hayes getting more burn that maybe there's some there's some change in terms of the pieces, but they are tanking, so I'm not sure how much we take from that. Larry Nance Jr. was actually injured, so I don't know what his future is with the team, even though he's a player that I really like. Tony Snell was just a throw-in on the minimum. Can you talk about, before I talk on the Blazers Hall, can you talk about how especially Nance and CJ fit in on the Pelicans? I mean, just starting with Nance, I think his health's a big question mark. He's been pretty banged up this season and you know hasn't really been able to get on the floor all that much. At the start of the season, Billups didn't obviously have a lot of confidence with him and then he started to work his way into the Blazers rotation and then he's been dealing with a few injuries, so hopefully he can get back to that because, again, I think he's a good versatile piece and you know I can I can definitely envisage a lineup with you know sort of him playing almost the center spot next to Zion that gives a bit more space and a bit more passing and a bit more athleticism and makes a bit more conceptual sense than you know a guy like Valanchunas um with with sort of Zion playing that weird point centery sort of role that he does where he's running pick and rolls and he's attacking the rim um as for CJ I think it's an interesting one, right? Like they've they've made a move. They've got a guy that is definitely has been a high level player, but I'm not really sure he's the right kind of floor spacer. Like, you know, he hasn't really his three point percentage and his three point volume have dropped off quite a bit. He's not like a real gunner out there. There's definitely games when he gets hot, but he's a bit more of a mid-range artist. He's a bit more of a, you know, sort of get the ball in his hands and, and work a pick and roll or work in isolation. And it is it is an interesting fit. I think if Zion's able to get healthy, which is obviously the biggest question mark with the Pelicans, it's, you know, he he gives them some more scoring, some more punch, something else to worry about. But it's it's a 
pretty questionable fit defensively and then offensively yeah. I think the fit's been made out to be a bit more seamless than I really think it is because I think CJ because he has such a clean stroke and we've seen so many games where he gets hot and makes so many threes like he's I don't really think he is that much of a shooter anymore mm-hmm. yeah so yeah it is I mean you'll be able to talk more on that you obviously yeah. watch more of him than I but I think it's it could be an interesting fit yeah yeah agreed yeah so his his three point volume has increased um, over the last couple of years, getting it up from five or six to seven or eight. But a lot of that is cre- is creation off the dribble for himself, which you, you're right, he is a different type of spacer. And I feel like that his his mid range works as a um, creating in terms of when Dame is on the court, or um, you know maybe it's running some stuff with some some screen action with Nurkic. I don't know if playing him with two traditional bigs, which I'm going to call Zion a traditional big with the way that he plays and JV, I don't know if that works as well. One thing that one part of CJ's game, which is underrated is his playmaking. Like he, he does operate well in terms of diamond guys up, but with two traditional bigs and then the, the, the fit defensively things will be, will be interesting there. And then when you think about Valanciunas being extended, Maybe they're just better to go with a rim-running guy like Jackson Hayes, and I know he has similarities to to Williamson. But when you think about uh, the way that Ingram plays, is that Ingram in a lot of ways plays quite similar to uh, has some similarities to the way that CJ plays. So their fit, I don't think, I don't think is particularly great. You know, he's a he's a decent catch and shoot guy from from the corner. And then when you think about Devonte Graham, I, I don't. I don't know, like who who is guarding who's guarding the point of attack between Devonte Graham? Who's and guarding CJ anybody out there? Right, like really? Oh. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, um, yeah. agreed, on, agreed. While I've got it up with CJ, right? So, you know, yeah. he's in the this season, and they're pretty much in line with his career stats. This season, he's in the seventeenth. Sorry, he's in the twenty eighth percentile for attempts at the rim, which is yeah. you know pretty low. Yeah. He's in the thirty seventh percentile for three-point attempts which isn't great and he's in the 96th percentile for mid-range attempts so like it's wow there's a lot of guys that kind of want to just get the ball and go to work and that's also kind of what Zion does too so yeah there's a lot of and then there's you know there's not many guys that are just out and out defenders and obviously one of those guys was Josh Hart Josh Hart was probably yeah on that team the best of the three and D guy that just seems to fit with a guy like Zion seamlessly and yeah. he's in the deal for them yeah. to get McCullum. And it's like, well, as much as I think McCullum is a higher level player than these guys, the fit is, yeah, going to be, I think, difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. It's, yeah, you're right. Conceptually. And I think the way that I explained it is, is if I explained it without scratching deeper, it, it seems on the surface that it will be better, but um, I suppose we'll get to, we're, we're, we're yet to see, it'll be a while before we get to see them play together. Um, and also there's a chance that the Pelicans might not look the same way when Zion comes back. So, yeah, that's going to be interesting. In terms of the Blazers, um, I feel like they got Josh Hart because he has the partial guarantee for next season, although I do actually like Hart on the Blazers. I don't know what that means for him is because he is still there, and we'll talk about the other deals with Alexander Walker and Sadoransky being moved. Um, Didi Lazada isn't an NBA player anymore. I don't think he's been... Uh, it seemed like he was going to play on the Pels and he got a multi-year minimum deal, but I don't think he's a player. Um, 
the first round pick could convey to the Blazers, which will be great. But the Blazers are definitely clearing a cap space to be able to use a TPE to pretend um, a trade exception to potentially bring in someone like a Jeremy Grant. They didn't do that at this deadline and could be looking to do that in the future. I haven't actually looked into into how that exactly would work. There was a little bit of Ben Simmons chat um, in Blazers Twitter from from some beat writers that um, that I do respect. Obviously, that didn't happen. But the Blazers are looking to retool around Damian Lillard. When we talk about the next Blazers trade, I think Troy, this is a good for you to come in with some um, uh, more objective chat um, about the Blazers and um, and yes, some feelings there, but very interesting for them. Um, the move that you, we will get you to start on with your beloved Sacramento Kings, and this is the one I was not expecting, um, was the was the Pacers getting Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, um, Trist, and Tristan Thompson. The Kings getting um, Demantis Sabonis, Justin Holiday, Jeremy Lamb in a 2023 second round pick. This one just blew me away. Uh, take me through it, man. Um, yeah, so I think it's important to look at it through the lens of a pure asset move first, I think. Um, taking the emotional side out of it, we get a guy like Sabonis who is, you know, he's an all-star. I don't think he's really an all-star level player, but he has an all-star selection. Um, he's a really, really solid offensive player with obviously some sort of defensive fit concerns when, when he's the five. He's not really big enough, not really enough of a rim protector. When he's the four, he's probably a bit slow, can't really switch out that much. So there, there's some concerns there, but a really good passer, a really good guy operating out of sort of handoff action and attacking the rim, really good at getting back to that left hand, a lot of sort of post moves and just an absolute battering ram of a player. Um, we give up Tyrese Halliburton, who was perhaps our best draft pick in the last I don't know, 20 years, um, which, which was really interesting, right? We, <laughs> we were fortunate enough to get him at the 12th pick, um, and he was probably the first guy I've ever heard of since I've been a basketball fan that wanted to come to Sacramento, um, was apparently even like not giving teams higher in the draft order his medicals, uh, his, his medical record, so he could get to Sacramento. And, you know, really, yeah. really promising guy, um, was playing phenomenally this year, and when Darren Fox has been out with injuries, you know, a playmaker, a shooter, uh, a bit slight defensively, you know, maybe doesn't have that really high level upside, um, but just plays the right way. Fits with probably all 30 teams in the league. Like he's just one of those guys that's a, that's a glue guy, a good playmaker, has a varied enough skill set that he can sort of do it all. And we, you know, move him in his second year. Um, so, it's very much a move to me that's for going the long term for short term success. It's obviously well documented yeah. that we have the longest playoff drought in the league. Um, but my biggest issue with it is that we've traded that for short term success. But how successful is this team with you know a team built around Fox Sabonis? We obviously chose to keep Barnes rather than move him for a deal that surely would have been out there for at least the first round pick. Um, So, you know, maybe, okay, we can compete for a playing spot. Maybe we're a seven, eight seed in the next couple of years with very little room to get better from here. And I think Halliburton, you know, has, he definitely hadn't reached the ceiling yet. And also he was, you know, cost controlled and team controlled for another two years. And also, you know, basically that rookie contract 
most of them tend to sign that extension with their with their own team because it definitely benefits them. So it's it's a very Kings move in terms of being short sighted. Um, obviously, you know if the Kings played Minnesota last night and Sabonis played well and the team looked really good and we got a win. And I think the fan base was very shocked initially is maybe starting to turn on it, but it's um it is a very surprising move, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I was pretty much shocked. Like Halliburton is on some of my uh fantasy teams um this year. I've just got two. Um and just his production, um, his efficiency, you know, being able to play make for others just seems to add um just seemed to add so much to that Kings team, and I was pretty shocked by that. What, what do you feel about? How do you feel about where Indiana are at with with what they added? So I think I mean they get a guy like Halliburton with you know high upside, very young again, cost team controlled, and he's just he's going to fit with every team in the league, right? So yeah. they get a guy like I think him and Brogdon sort of make sense. Brogdon's a guy that can attack in straight line drives pretty well, can also shoot, can also defend fairly well. Like it seems to make sense, obviously. They're obviously not done retooling with with what they're going to do. It seems like they'll keep turning now because they're able to move move Sabonis for a good return. But it just it just gives them some upside and also some room to you know move financially. They have a guy like Heald on their books, who I'm sure they you know uh, I don't really expect to be part of their long term future, but they will um have some more moves to make. I'm sure. But at the end of the at the end of the day, they get one of the best sophomores in the league. So I think that's a fairly good day at the office for them. Really, yeah. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I th- I feel like they did really well in that regard. Next interesting trade is a uh, a three way. Um, I do find this really interesting, and there's some some underrated stuff around what these teams are up to. Uh, the Jazz get Nikhil Alexander Walker from Portland. I don't feel like even though Nikhil Alexander Walker is a was a nice guard in New Orleans, don't really feel like he fits. Uh, he was going to really fit on uh, on Portland. Um, Anthony Anthony Simons will have to be paid um, next season. He's a restricted uh, restricted free agent. Um, Wancho Hernan Gomez, Wancho Hernan Gomez to um, the Jazz um, from San Antonio. Uh, the Blazers get Joe Ingles. Clearly a move that uh, and Joe Ingles is such a selfless dude. You know, he could have just said, "I want to hang around for the playoff run, even though I'm not going to play at all." Um, clearly decided the best thing for was for the team to bring in some other guys. Uh, Elijah Hughes to the to the Blazers, not a dude that seemed to have played at all when I did some research. Um, Blazers also got a second round pick. Now uh, Spurs got Thomas Sadoransky, who feels like he's a really Spursy guy, even though he hasn't played a lot. And clearly that they had him there as a guy to fill in for the Derek White move that came later. Um, I suppose you want to talk about it from the Spurs point of view, and then what the Jazz were thinking around the Kyle Alexander Walker. Um, yeah, so with the Spurs, I mean, they get... Sadoransky's obviously had a fairly rough year this year. Again, he's been a bit banged up. He hasn't shot the ball well at all. His three-point attempt rate has plummeted. But they're basically able to give, you know, create a little bit of backup. And Juancho Hernan Gomez was probably surplus to requirements at their big spots. Um, yeah. Also, obviously, Sadoransky is European. So they trade a European for a European to keep their always high European rates on their team um, because that's how Popovich likes it done. So, you know, I I don't really think it's too much of a difference maker, but also would it surprise me if next year Sadoransky's still on the Spurs and is playing well on a really reasonable contract because they've managed to, you know, reclaim him 
that wouldn't surprise me at all. It would be a very Spurs thing to do. He And I, I agree, he sort of seems like a Spursy guy. So I've always liked him in stretches. This year he's had a rough one, but yeah, I really liked him last year. So we'll we'll see what they can get out of him. Yeah. What, um, what about um, the Jazz? So the Jazz basically, they end up with Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Alexander Walker, who's a guy that I think everyone's sort of been waiting to see that magic that he had in the... You, you remember his first summer league? I do, yeah. yeah, yeah. Where yeah. he was hitting crazy step-back threes and just, yeah. just diming guys up and absolutely killing it. And they get a guy in Hernan Gomez who, again, just adds a bit of depth to their front line. The thing with Nikhil Alexander-Walker is that they he is under contract next year. Um, so whether or not they try and do something with that, because I don't really think he's a dif- difference maker, but they're able to get off that Joe Ingles contract, which is obviously, you know, doesn't have a huge amount of value right now and create a bit of, you know, sort of room under the apron and a bit of financial flexibility. And obviously I think that they were probably looking for a bigger move and decided that that bigger move wasn't really there for, you know, a, a guy like a Jeremy Grant. I'm assuming they've decided that the asking price was too high. And so they've made just a room around the, around the margins to create a bit of potential depth and get off some money and, you know, make the team's books look a bit better. So I think that makes sense for them. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Uh, moving on to the next trade, uh, Raptors trade Goran Dragic to the Spurs. Um, talking about Spursy, Spursy guys, um, Goran Dragic is just a dude. He just does a lot of the little things. You know, uh, he's he's a bit older now, a great vet. Um, he, I don't know what his next deal looks like because you know, he hasn't, I don't know if he's played at all this year, correct me if I'm wrong. So not sure what his next deal like is like, but he clearly would, you know, he's a Miami guy. Clearly, he would fit the Spurs culture. Um, do you think there will be a buyout? I mean, the Spurs got a first-round pick for, for Thaddeus Young, which is surprising, even though I, you know, Thaddeus Young had a great season with uh, the Bulls last year. What what do you think about Dragic's future in, on the Spurs? And then the Raptors are, are on a real tier recently. Thaddeus Young is clearly, is clearly going to help them as well. Yeah, I think Dragic is probably a prime buyout candidate. He sort of has, seems to have that written all over them. But um, it really seems like you know they've they've made that pick. That's essentially I I break this trade down to Thad Young for a first round pick, which I didn't initially think they were going to be able to get because there wasn't a lot of chatter around Thaddeus Young coming up to the trade deadline. Mm. Again, I really liked him. He was he probably would have been my pick for six man of the year with Chicago last year. I think he's a you know at at this stage in his career as best sort of rolls back up center and he gives you some switchability and some playmaking and I think you know Toronto was looking for a center they probably you know I, I doubt Thad Young was the number one candidate but they've got a guy there that provides some depth on their front line and they give up a first for him which you know it's Toronto's first probably not going to be hugely valuable um, are there protections on that pick do you know no it doesn't doesn't say no I, I didn't hear about any protections on it yeah, so it's probably a fairly high asking price for Thad Young. Like, I think it's you know, it, it's an interesting move it, if Thad Young plays well and gives them the depth they need at their position and whatnot, then, yeah, it, it'll look fine. I don't, I don't think they really need that pick so much in terms of the situation they're in where they sort of seem to have, you know, avoided the full rebuild and have sort of stood pretty pat with their core of Van Bleet and OG and Siakam, so... Yeah, it, it it gives them some depth and some versatility and some different looks, I think, lineup wise. Um, but yeah, it's it's a lot for a yeah. first round pick. Like like that's a that's a pretty high asking price. 
I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. You never know, really know what the Raptors are up to, but um, they always seem to make moves, you know, with the, the not just they have the short term in sight, but then they'll also be thinking a longer term. Um, so, yeah, interesting to see how that works based on the guys that they have they're running with and playing a lot of minutes at the moment. But yeah, a very interesting move there. Um, just quickly touch on the Suns. Got Aaron Holiday. Uh, clearly, some issues with personnel. And when you think about, I looked at the injury report the other day, um, the Suns, they just seem to be this next man up mentality. Bismack Biombo's out the league, comes back, has the best season of his career. Um, they've still got Saric out, they've got Campaign out. And so this deal for a, a backup point guard, uh, a little bit older, Aaron Holiday, you know, came into the league around the age 22, but, um, you know, he was a, a nice little backup point guard that they had there and there was only cash considerations from the Wizards. Um, yeah, obviously we're both big Suns fans in terms of the way that they're playing at the moment. Um, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Bridges. Um, so you might as well talk on at the same time. Um, the Suns also got Tory Craig um, in exchange for uh, Jalen Smith going to the Pacers. Yeah, so I think you know they've just made some really good depth moves here. Um, yep. Aaron Holiday gives him a little bit of depth at point guard. You know, I don't think he's going to play in a high leverage playoff series, really, but he's he's a dude that can you know back up the backup and. If one of the point guards is out, he can play some rotation minutes and probably not kill them. Yep. And then Corey Craig, I think the biggest thing for him is that they've just got another guy that can guard big wings. Who that's sort of the main value that Corey Craig has these days. But I think you know a guy like Jalen Smith hasn't really done too much, and I don't think is as exciting of a prospect as he once may have been anymore. Um, whereas yeah, Corey yeah, Craig's a guy that can probably guard some of the guys that you really need to guard in a high playoff series. So you know. You never know who's going to get hurt, or you never know if you just need to throw a different look at a guy. So I think it makes sense for them. There's some really nice sort of great moves around the fringes where they're not giving up prime assets, but they're just increasing their depth and their you know, odds to compete for a championship. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and I think a guy like Jalen Smith is sort of a, maybe a little bit more of a traditional big. He's, you, know, you have him down as a power forward, but he's not like there's not really a, a, a big man. He's a more of a big man in the traditional sense, whereas they like to use the guys that they love to use at the four are, um, you know, more like Jay Crowder and Tory Craig fits into that. He was on the Suns last year, I think as well. So yeah, just another, some more great pieces of business from the Suns. Uh, another interesting little move. Um, next up, Hornets got Montrezl Harrell from the Wizards. Um, I didn't mind Montrezl Harrell on the Wizards, but when Thomas Bryant came back and there was still some money invested in him and they had Daniel Gafford that I really liked, there were never going to be three bigs that were able to play together when you consider that all of them had money invested in them, especially as Montrez Harrell would want another, uh, would need another payday next year. So he's gone to the Hornets. I actually quite like him on the Hornets. Um, the Wizards gave up, uh, sorry, the Wizards got Vernon Carey Jr. I don't really know a lot about him. Um, Ish Smith was a backup point there. So you don't think he got a lot of burn and then a 2023 uh, second round pick, which doesn't look to be that great. You just want to touch on this one briefly. Yeah, I mean, I think Bontrez Harrell gives them some depth at centre that they needed, really. Um, he was a guy that, to be honest, I expected to end up on Charlotte um, in, in the offseason. He ended up on the Wizards, and now here he is. So, yeah, he, he gives them some, some depth at centre behind Mason Plumley, and it, it's just a different look. They, they tend to run Washington out there at the five quite a lot, um, but I don't really think that P.J. Washington is a centre. 
Like he's not one of those guys that really does like the sort of Draymond Green or the other sort of undersized center things where he actually gives you any sort of rim protection because he doesn't. So Montrezl Harrell will, will give you a different look. Obviously, he doesn't give you rim protection either, but he just gives you some more inside scoring and some more force and some more energy. So it's just a different look they can have and a bit more depth. So I think it, yeah. And, and again, I don't really think it's much of an asset cost, so it makes sense. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and I, I think that these these some of these fringe teams and that Hornets, um, I still feel like they have a, a really great future. They're just looking to continue building on their team as the young guys improve, and it's just a nice little move there on the fringes. Um, Four team trade here. I I've had a, oh, yeah. a decent look at this, but still sort of tr- struggling to get my head around all of it. Um, Sergi Bucket to the Bucks. I really like this, and we talked on it a little bit beforehand. Serge is is looking to come back, and I've seen his minutes have increased. Obviously, the, the, these big guys later on in their career, they're not as impactful, but it was only a few years ago that Serge, you know, had a really good NBA Finals. I think he adds a little bit of depth there at the backup big. Some second-round picks coming in via Sacramento, Detroit, and then cash considerations from the Clippers. Um, the Clippers got Rodney Hood and, and Semi Ojale. Semi hasn't actually played much this year. Rodney Hood's the same. I don't know if these are... I feel like these are partial um, salary dumps, but also they're guys that maybe could play a little bit um, if the Clippers have some more injuries. Don't know if they're going to be um, long-term pieces. Um, I don't know how to say this guy's name, but you got it before. Vanja Marinkovic uh, is there. You can talk on... Vanja Marinkovic, this, baby. You can talk on this legend in a little bit. Um, the King's getting Dante really Dean. <laughs> there, there must be some history, uh, even though he's probably never played for them. Um, the Kings got Dante DiVincenzo, which was really interesting. Uh, Josh Jackson to the Kings as well. Really intriguing guy who hasn't really turned out. Uh, Trey Lyles, another big, just because the Kings don't have enough. David uh, Michonneau, and then a second-round pick. And then the Pistons getting Kings legend um, Marvin Bagley. So, yeah, talk on... Marvin Bagley the third, Stevie. Marvin Bagley the third. There'll be a Marvin Bagley the fourth that will, that will be drafted. Uh, after a legendary player like Luka Doncic. Right. But talk on any parts and as many or as few as you want to chat on in that trade. I mean, look, I, I'm going to just start with the sort of home of view that I genuinely think the Kings won this trade. Um, the wild thing is, so we basically get a guy like Don, Dante DiVincenzo for really nothing. Because Marvin Bagley, I feel like his contract is negative value. He was paid just an absurd amount of money because he was a second round pick. Um, if you guys remember us drafting Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic, as you already mentioned. So, you know, he gets paid $11 million this year. So I think that definitely negative value contract. And we basically get DiVincenzo. Whereas in the off season, we, you know, had that trade that was basically pulled back because of it being done illegally, but we were going to basically trade Bogdan Bogdanovic for him. So, we, we get our guy eventually and we get him for basically nothing and he gives us some good depth at the two, obviously after getting rid of Halliburton and Heald. So love this trade for the Kings. I mean, Lyles is a guy that, again, gives us a little bit of shooting and some versatility. He's just another look at the big. Again, we don't need another big, I agree, but he's there. And then Josh Jackson gives us some depth at the three that we need. I'm not super high on Josh Jackson either, but, you know, he's had some moments this year. Um, Bagley, I mean... You know, Piston sort of a sort of a second draft type move with Bagley. You know, maybe they can get something out of him. Maybe they can't. I don't imagine him getting much of a contract this year. He is a restricted free agent. Um, 
but we'll see if they want to retain him or what, what happens there. Um, the Clippers, yeah, I think it's basically a money move as they've obviously just invested in, you know, they've got Powell and Covington now. They needed to sort of trim their books a lot. They're already looking at about a $50 million, um, $150 million tax payment for next year. So that's that's a move that makes financial sense to them. And then the Bucks get, get a Barker who gives them some depth at the big spots, which they're obviously going to be a little bit hurt on, especially if, you know, Lopez doesn't end up coming back. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting move from the Bucks' perspective, I think. It's probably the thing I most want to talk about because they seem to be really investing a lot in the play of guys like Grayson Allen and Pat Connaughton. So mm. what do you think about that? Because I definitely thought out of those three sort of combo guards that or like guard wings that DiVincenzo was probably the best of the three of them. But yeah. what are your thoughts on those guys? Yeah, I, I thought that, that, that Dante was the best because he was had the ability to um, do a little bit of playmaking, not a lot but defend and shoot the ball really well. Grayson Allen gets a bad name because he is a dick and he does do some stupid shit. Um, but I feel like he, on the teams he's played on, he has added some value, but you've already paid him. That's the thing. You you know, he's already got the three-year yeah. three $30 million deal, which, you know, it's sort of about what you pay for those guys. Um, Pat Connaughton is a really nice shooter. He gives you the ability to play more in transition because he's the most, most athletic of the three. But he also has, has, doesn't have a lot of playmaking, um, can rebound it a little bit more, is neither here nor there defensively. Um, and they, they, do lack, they do lack depth at those spots. So I'm not really sure what that means for next year in terms of um, you know, these other players opting in or out, but definitely was an interesting move to, yeah, to, send, to send Dante out in that trade. Um, he's a player that I like for the Kings, but... The Bucks will have some problems next year because they are—they're only going to have the mini MLE to, oh, sorry, the the, the tax pay MLE to spend. The everyone else will be on minimum, so it does, yeah, it does put a lot of emphasis on the guys that they that they have to get them through this playoff run and then in next year's regular season. Um, moving on from there, uh, Daniel Tice back to the Celtics, which is interesting. Um, was never really going to play a lot on Houston, as you know they were going to be tanking. Um, Rockets get Dennis Schroeder, which I feel like it could be um, a buyout move. Um, I'm not like he's obviously not going to be part of the Rockets' future, and he actually had a decent year on Boston. Uh, Bruno Fernando's salary dump, Ennis Freedom. I mean, I don't even want to give that guy any year time. Um, was actually really good on the Blazers last year, and then seems to just be a political fuckwit now. Um, changing his name to Ennis Freedom, yeah. So. Anyway, we're not going to talk on him. Um, what do you think about the Schroeder move? And do you think that Daniel Tice uh, helps the Celtics? I mean, I think it's more just getting off Schroeder. Tice, you know, he, he gives them a different look. Um, a bit more defensive-minded. Um, although I don't think... Really, I don't think Tice, I don't think Schroeder has really... Either of them have had a good year. Um, I think Schroeder's been a bit of a disappointment in Boston from my perspective at least I think they expected him to give them a bit more attacking and whatnot but he just doesn't he's not a good passer and he's not a good shooter which are really the things that Boston needs so I don't really know if this move does much for any team Tice gives them a bit of depth I guess um I do I just want to say sort of say that I think Ennis Freedom's maybe a waiver candidate to end up as Philly's backup center now that they've moved Andre Drummond which we'll talk about soon so yeah yeah, bottom. it's a yeah, it, it's a fringe move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Yeah, I I think that's not that's not a bad little call there. 
Um, Celtics, uh, this is another Boston move here. Celtics get Derek White, which is interesting. Now, Derek White, I feel like I was listening to Dunked On podcast not that long ago when Nate or Danny might have said that they thought that Derek White was the was the Spurs' best player moving forward. Correct, correct me if you don't think that's a. a no, that was the thing that happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I still, I'm still really high on Derek White, but uh, clearly the, the shooting part of his game regressing a little bit, even if it was a smaller sample. With, and this is where I'm still confused with the Spurs' vision. It seems like they embraced a little bit more of just playing the younger guys, um, but then they move on from from Derek White when. Really, he he was a guy that should have been part of their longer-term vision, even though he is a bit older. Uh, I think that he can help the Celtics. Really interested to see how he works there. Um, the Spurs get Josh Richardson. Richardson was... I don't know how he was really going to fit on fit in on um, the Celtics because he's, he is a playoff type of dude, but he doesn't really fit with the personnel we have there when you think about um, Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum. So that was interesting. Romeo Langford, I mean, hasn't really played a lot, um, but then there was a, a two first round, a first round pick, and then a, a pick swap. What do you think about those first round picks? And then chat on, yeah, Richardson's the Spurs and, and Derek White to the Celtics. Um, I think, you know, it's the Spurs actually trading guys in the in in the middle of a season to get some picks is, is a move I really like. I mean, Derek White, yeah, has he obviously had that really hot shooting in the bubble? I think. We've sort of seen that he's not really going to be that guy. That's probably not who he is. And I think also Deontay Murray's had a really breakout year this year. Um, yeah. So I think he's really locked up that sort of guard position. And you've got guys like Lonnie Walker and stuff there too. So I think they can afford to give that away. And I think it makes sense. He is also, you know, 28. So it does make a bit more sense to me. Um, as for the draft picks, I mean, the... Do you know the protections on the Celtics one? I know it is protected. Um, I don't yeah. know how heavily, but I think it's something like Lotto protected. So, you know, it's 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 a fine first round pick. Um, and then a pick swap in twenty twenty eight. I mean, who knows what that could end up looking like? I think, yeah, it's sort of hard to comment on what that could be, but it's it's a it's a bit of an asset there. Um, whereas the Celtics, I mean, Derek White is he's a heck of a lot better than Dennis Schroeder. I'll tell you that much. So. Yeah, yeah, he'll 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 give them a bit more punch and a bit more sort of you know aggression and attacking the rim and whatnot. Again, I still don't really think he's that that sort of playmaker that they need. I think that was something I talked about um, on our sort of season preview pod that we did around. I just think Boston needs way more passing than they have, and Derek White's another guy that passing isn't primarily what he does. So it's an interesting fit, but he's going to give them a lot more than. Dennis Schroeder did and yeah but giving up a first round pick is yeah it's it's a it seems a bit of a high risk move like you know maybe they could have used that first round pick to get a bit more of a known quantity like I think Derek White has that sort of swing skill with his shooting where if he yeah if he gets better there and makes more improvements to, to sort of get back to where he was on the bubble then he could be a really good player but he could also just be another guy that doesn't space the floor and doesn't pass well enough and kind of just makes their offense a little bit clunky. Yeah, 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 good points there. I'm interested to see how he fits in on a Celtics team, which has been up and down all year. Um, next one, I feel like this is really out of left field, even though when we talk about it, I actually don't mind the move. Um, the Mavericks getting Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans, and the Wizards getting Kristaps Porzingis. Um, 
I still am a fan of Porzingis, but the the Mavericks are just all about Luca, and you basically, with who he is defensively and offensively, you need to have the right guys there to to push that team along. And Luka Doncic is one of the faces of the NBA for the next ten seasons, and and you just got to make those moves. And this is one which is it is really interesting. Obviously, still on a max deal. I don't think that at any time Porzingis has been awful. Um, I, I just don't. I just don't think that he's a player that fits right there. Um, his contract's probably a slight negative. Um, I'll, I will get you to talk to that. The I do like the Mavs getting Spencer Dinwiddie. I feel like Washington was all sorts of weird fits and dudes wanting to get paid. And you had Kuzma and you had um, you know Beal who had a down year. And Dinwiddie is a is a good point guard, and I feel like he he could probably come in and have a really good regular season end of regular season playoffs. Um, still coming back from injury, so it's probably tough to be part of a Wizards team that had playoff expectations when the pieces all didn't fit. So yeah, talk about that for both sides um, in terms of the pieces that went either way. So I think a, a big thing that this indicates to me is that Dallas is aware that Jalen Brunson is going to get some fairly good offers. He's obviously a restricted free agent this year and has had a really good season. Um, and it's it's seen for a while like they're not really prepared to, you know, get up to that sort of twenty million dollar a year mark where he, he could totally get those kind of offers for another ball handler when you have Luka Doncic, who's probably one of the most heliocentric ball handlers in the league. So it seems like Dinwiddie's a bit of sort of a contingency plan for that. Whereas you know, if, if Brunson gets some big offers from other teams, they can actually walk away from that and hopefully not lose too much. Um, I think there might be some Dallas fans that are upset, upset with the idea that they might lose Brunson. But yeah, it seems like Dallas isn't too keen on the idea of investing, you know, upwards of $60 million on primary ball handlers. Um, and obviously getting off Porzingis, I don't think it's, yeah, he's, there's moments when it all seems to make sense when he's making threes and he's unstoppable. Like, you know, he's, you can't score on him at the rim and, but there's also moments when it's he just seems to kind of be floating out there and gives them certain defensive issues on the perimeter and doesn't really have much of a post game or an isolation game, but still clearly wants to do that sometimes and you know has a fairly big contract. So I think it, it sort of gives them some flexibility. I think, to be honest, they're better with Cleaver and Powell out there a lot of the time anyway. Um, and then, you know, it, it gives them that backup if, if sort of worst-case scenario, Jalen Brunson gets a huge offer and they just don't want to match it. Yeah. Um, as for as for Washington, I mean, yeah, it's it's an interesting one for Washington. I don't really, you know, I mean, Porzingis is there now. It's kind of a strange one for them. I To be fair, I haven't really thought too much from Washington's perspective because I don't often think about Washington's perspective. Um any, any Wizards fans out there, I apologise. But, you know, you've now got, again, three centres, like we were talking about before, the issue with Harrell. Um, yeah. So that's another thing, you know. he, I guess he makes conceptual sense with Beal as a pick-and-pop guy. Gives you more rim protection than, you know, obviously um, Bryant's pretty terrible in that, but Gafford's probably strong in that. So it's an interesting one. Um, you know, maybe it's more about the fact that Dinwiddie wasn't really working out, so it's just flipping it for the asset and then seeing what you can do. But, yeah, it's an interesting one from their perspective. I'd kind of be interested to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just still don't understand 
what the Wizards are doing. Beal is get, can sign a five-year, two hundred and fifty million dollar contract, and regardless of how you feel about the actual money and where he's going with his age, um, if he leaves, you you may be able to you may have been able to replace him, but now you're locked into um, you know two more years of Porzingis. Um, you've got guys like KCP that can help a, a playoff team there. Um, you've also got your other younger pieces in Corey Kispert, um, you know, Daniel Gafford, who you paid, and then Rui Hachimura and Denny of Dia, who really, if you still want the team to continue to be good, and, the, and there's four guys there that um, have you know ceilings anywhere from being good to being really, really good players, then I don't and I don't really understand how having Porzingis and to a lesser extent Beal fits for your team long term, where you're better off to just be giving reps to these younger dudes. So I'm not I'm not really sure what the long term um, prognosis is for the team. But when you look at it, they already have 123 million um, committed for next year. Actually, look, sorry, it will be 132 is the likely on the on the cap sheet. So yeah, I'm not really sure how that how it fits long term. Um, I mean, Kyle Kuzma's is going to be uh, the guy at the moment. I mean, so so what's your? Is it Porzingis at the five, Kuzma at the four? Um, like like, who's going to be playing for the rest of the season? What's the starting lineup? Oh, okay, yep. Um, hang on a minute. Let me just work through this. There will be some Wizards fans. Sorry, sorry to my New Zealand guys in the buckets down under group. I can't remember who of you are Wiz fans, but um. Yeah, let me let me know if we get if we get any of these wrong. It it is kind of interesting because they definitely seem to like Avdia at the four because he seems to he's sort of become like their primary stopper weirdly, which is kind of strange. Yeah, he's obviously just working his way in. So yeah, I mean, I think you've got you know Beal when healthy's definitely out there. Coldwell Pope's out there. Porzingis is out there, Kuzma's out there. I don't really know who that extra guy is because you're probably a little bit big and slow if you put Denny in there. Yeah. It's yeah, this it's a bit of a weird one to be honest. Yeah. You might have to actually play like sort of big ball and yes. have four power forwards out there once. Yeah, I mean it's the opposite to the to the Kuzma's 2020 still kind of a power forward. Yeah. I feel like Denny and Hachimura are both they they're both most suited as a power forward. Pazinkas yeah. thinks he's a power forward. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's they um they might win the what the fuck is this team doing award this um this trade deadline, to be honest. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to come to the offseason and see where yeah, where, yeah, where, where it all fits. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um the big one, the last one, um, that we both didn't think would get done. James Harden to the 76ers, uh, Ben Simmons out of jail and off to the nets with Seth Curry and Andre Drummond and two first-round picks. Um, First of all, we have to talk on James Harden to the 76ers. um, Joel Embiid, the last two seasons, has taken massive steps in terms of uh, efficiency. I feel like his health is still a bit of a concern, but we see a guy whose skill level in terms of a big is really only compared to, to Nikola Jokic at the moment, one of the most dominant players in the game, making better passes and reads, but clearly needed another guy there. What does this mean for the playoff fortunes of the 76ers? Because that's really 
that's really all that people um, are going to care about is like, can is this the guy that can help the 76ers um, be a perennial contender? I mean, I think the fit of Harden's, I actually quite like it. I mean, yeah. I haven't historically been the biggest Harden fan, but I think him and Embiid, there's no reason they won't work together. I think their free throw rate is going to be astronomical. Um, Embiid's the best free throw drawing big that I've, perhaps I've ever seen, apart yeah. from obviously Shaq, Shaq for very different reasons. Um, yeah. And then James Harden's obviously been been good at that for years. And um, aside from his slow start this year, he's definitely getting back into that. Um, you know, James Harden, a really good passer. Um, he's been playing more that primary point guard role with the Nets, even in the games that, that he's played with Kyrie. Kyrie was, was really sort of stepping into that off-ball sort of two-guard attacking quickly off catches and come and roll. Harden was really the primary ball hander. I think he will be on his Philly team too. So they're going to be hard to guard. I think both of them are good enough to carry an offense when the other one's off the floor. But there's still some concerns with like, can you get enough shooting out there? Obviously, they give up Seth Curry in the deal too, so we'll talk about that on the other side of the trade. But yeah, I think offensively, they'll be very tough to stop. And they're, they're the kind of guys that are both kind of crafty enough that not having enough shooting may only matter at the really like the highest levels of playoff basketball. I think for the most yeah. part, they're just going to be crafty enough to just get to the line or overwhelm their opponent. They're both very physical at their position and they're, they're, they're going to be tough. I think they're going yeah. to be tough. Defensively, yeah. obviously Harden doesn't bring a lot, um, but Ben Simmons was bringing nothing because he wasn't playing. So, you know, yeah. I don't think they're any worse there, really. So, yeah, it's the asset plays interesting, and we'll get into that more. But I think in terms of just basketball fit X's and O's, I think it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, I, I like it. Um, Tobias Harris, they paid him when, and we don't need to litigate all that again, but um, seems to be coming Please into... Not. <laughs> seems to be coming into some really good form of late. Um, being able to be a bit more of a supplementary option, um, and I feel like his fit with Simmons was bad. Um, not saying it's great with Harden, but like Tobias as a, as a third guy who can you know take advantage of mismatches, he can do a little bit of playmaking, some stuff off the dribble. Um, I don't mind his fit there with Harden. Talking about the Nets, um, I... I'm really interested with this. Actually, like Seth, Seth Curry. I know he's a little bit of a down year after a great year last year, but um, I like him on the Nets, even though Paddy Mills is still there. Gives you some more shooting, and then in the event of uh, Kyrie Irving, you know, obviously he's only going to be able to play certain games. I like having, I like having Seth there. Um, Andre Drummond is a you know backup big with Millsap gone. Ben Ben Simmons and Kevin Durant, great fit. Um, does does the fit with Kyrie Irving matter less? Even though we think it's good, does the fit, does, do, do any fit concerns with Kyrie Irving not really matter because he's only going to be playing half the time? Um, how do you feel about Ben Simmons there? I feel like this gives them a lot more defense, which is what they needed. Um, and I love his fit next to Kevin Durant. Yeah, I think as far as a team that could you know have a as seamless as a possible fit with Ben Simmons. Because obviously he's kind of an awkward player to fit on most teams. I think this team is about as good of a situation as he could have there, really. Yeah. There's going to be moments, obviously, when I think his lack of shooting is easiest to hide when he's the primary ball handler. Yeah. In this team, there's going to be, a lot of the time, he's not going to be the primary ball handler because when Kyrie, when there's an away game, you're going to have Kyrie there. And 
Kevin Durant obviously has a ball in his hands quite a lot too. So that's an aspect I don't love. Obviously, it's just if he's sort of in the dunker spot, then his man's just going the works. Um, we've seen that in Philadelphia a lot where he can't, if he doesn't have the ball on offense, he kind of just stands there and his defender just goes and guards someone else or goes and stands in a spot that's where they want to run a pick and roll to and clogs things up. So that's going to be awkward. But again, defensively, he's, it's an excellent fit. There's enough. I mean, they have just amazing shooters on this team in terms of role plays. You know, you've got a guy like Joe Harris. If he can get healthy, you've got Patty Mills. You've got Seth Curry now who, I mean, this is his worst three-point shooting year for Seth Curry and he's shooting 40%. Like, yeah. he's that level of shooter. So you've got, it's it's about as good as I can imagine probably um, for Ben Simmons. You know, he's, he's obviously spoken about wanting to be the primary guy and this, or like, you know, one of the big stars wanting the ball on his hands more. He's not going to get that here. So see how long the fit lasts. But to be perfectly honest, I think this is probably the Nets more making a move for next season for the most part anyway. This season's kind of getting away from them a bit. I don't really think with the Kyrie situation, they're going to be the contenders that we thought they were. But we'll see where things are at next year and they're going to have a guy there that's going to be, you know, probably up their ceiling a bit more and James Harden's skills were while useful probably a bit duplicative if you have Kyrie Irving healthy yeah agreed yeah that's a really good breakdown and, and the next big three due to injury and some other stuff like people will rip on James Harden and you know um, but when you didn't have you didn't have Kyrie and you had the other injuries that you had um, you know if the other pieces didn't work out like Black Griffin wasn't as good this year um uh, Lamarcus Aldridge, you were relying on him a lot more. Um, uh, other guys like Paul Millsap weren't playing. Bit of a little bit of a lost year, but could still be an interesting end to the season. Um, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's really really interesting. And obviously the the two, um, the two first round picks, I feel are pretty great for a team. Anytime a contending team can get some first round picks, it's it's pretty great. Do you want to chat on those? And do you know what the protections were on them? Um, yeah, so that's the part that I do find more interesting. So as far as I'm aware, they're not protected. Um, the thing there, like that, that's my issue with it, right? Is that Maury's given up a lot for James Harden. Um, it is quite possible that Daryl Maury thinks that James Harden is the greatest player of all time. Um, that would not surprise me at all. Um, he's historically been a big fan of James Harden and has obviously wanted to get James Harden to, um, Philadelphia for quite some time. So, He's got his guy giving up a player that's as useful as Seth Curry is and then two first-round picks. And, yeah, as far as I'm aware, they're unprotected. 2022 and 2027, obviously, 2022, that's not going to be a very good pick. But 2027, like, we never know where things are going to be. That could, you know, we could be looking on that in five years' time thinking, sheesh, you know, I bet they wish they didn't give that up. Um, So it's – it is – from an asset perspective, it feels like a lot for an aging James Harden. Like, he's still good, but, man, um, you're giving up a lot. I guess Daryl Morey will look at it as he, you know, waited out the storm and got his guy in the end. But it's – it's. I feel like, like I'm surprised that they had to give up all three of those assets. Like, two of those three I would have been more okay with and it would have made a bit more sense to me. Giving Seth Curry and two first seems like – a very steep price to pay for Harden, but I guess there's also the fact that you've got Ben Simmons on your books and you're doing absolutely nothing with that salary spot because he's not slot because he's not playing. So, yeah, it, it's a big-time play, and, and the Nets, yeah, get 
some draft picks that are going to be cost controlled, right? So if they if they draft those players, or they can use them to make moves, which they it's probably the more likely one that they throw them in with some deals and use use it to facilitate getting more vets and guys that fit. But you could also just draft the twenty twenty two pick and have a guy that's cost controlled and hopefully can play a role. Yeah, agreed. And it seems like that's one thing the Nets have done really well. Um, they've got guys here like Kessler Edwards, um, Nicholas Claxton, Dayron Sharp, Cam Thomas, dudes that look they might not pan out to be to be all-stars or anything but they're guys that can come in and that can play a role and if you're getting second round picks or guys at the back of the first round like Nicholas Claxton they're usually going to co- only cost you 1 million or 1.5 million and they've they've made some great asset play by using that often there are playoff teams or contending teams who are unable to make those um, those late first rounders or second rounders or even their first rounders they're unable to use their draft picks in ways that can actually help you when you are ready to contend and need the cost control so I like the asset play. Uh, really fascinating. It's going to be a really fascinating end of the season. Um, we've just rolled over to an hour and one minute, so I think we've done really well to rip through all the trades in an hour. Um, are there? We'll quickly talk about the buyout market. Anything that you feel there that's that's going to be interesting, or is it just guys like Schroeder and, and Ennis Canter? So I guess it's probably worth talking about the guys that didn't move. Um, Jeremy Grant obviously seems like he'll just remain in Detroit, and they seem fine with that. They obviously wanted their package of two firsts and we know no one was willing to give it up so they've kept him. Um I'm sure the Lakers were desperately trying to throw Horton Tucker in there first at him and, and they weren't able to make that move. But he's obviously gonna gonna remain on the team until the off season. Um but you know there's even a guy like Eric Gordon, if he could shake loose there'd be plenty of interest there. Um I don't know, has anyone else come to mind that we sort of thought would be part of these conversations at, at deadline day and would move and just haven't? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't think of any other names, but like Eric Gordon's a good one. Surprised he didn't get traded. Um, yeah, so I'm sort of interested to see to see how that works. Yeah, any, any other names that sort of come up for you? Um, I don't really think there's too many guys. I mean, again, a lot of action. A lot of the guys that were talked about getting moved were moved, and even guys that I had really decided weren't going to be, like a guy like um, Thaddeus Young, who there was just no no noise about leading up to it, got moved. So. I think, to be fair, most of the action that could happen has happened, and it, it, it'll just be interesting. You know, there, there's some guys, you know, like a, a Dragic, can he shake free and actually give a team something? Or there'll be some dudes that are out there, but I don't think there's anyone super spicy apart from guys like Gordon that is, it is a possibility he could get bought out. Yeah, yeah, agreed, man. I think I think that's a pretty good summary of the... Um... Yeah, of the of the buyout market. Thanks so much, man, for taking an hour out of your out of your night to chat through these trades. Really interesting time, obviously again in the NBA, ripping into now. Obviously, we talked about the buyout market, the back end of the regular season, and the playoffs. So, yeah, really awesome hour of breaking down trades. Appreciate you jumping on, and uh, look forward no to worries. us talking good about good playoffs on. in a couple of months. Yeah, man, it's um it's coming around pretty quickly. Yeah, what are we like 50, 50 something going to the season now? Yeah, yeah, well, More, we're 60? we're sort of over two-thirds of the way through the season. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty massive, man. Um, yeah, thank you so much, and we'll talk again soon. Sweet. Sounds good, man.